Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. If you have a Bible with you, Let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24, and if you don't have one, that's okay. We'll have the words to the passage up on the screen along with our outline for the morning. Uh, We greet the dawn with Easter baskets and chocolate bunnies, but uh, that's very different than in the first century for that first Easter. The women were heading to the tomb with grief-filled hearts because they were going to actually prepare Jesus' body for burial. Uh, There was not time after the crucifixion and before the Sabbath for the Jews to be able to do that. So Jesus apparently had been more hastily prepared to be put into the tomb, and the women thought they they didn't do it right or didn't do it appropriately as it needed to be done. So they were going to the tomb, worried about how to roll this big stone away and how they were going to prepare uh, for what was going to happen. But they didn't know that as reality dawned upon them that they would encounter the truth that the world had changed between the time Jesus had been put into the tomb and the time they were showing up there because Jesus had emerged. And not only had their lives changed, but the understanding they had of the world was completely transformed. And so we're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 24. And usually, I have you stand when we're reading scripture, but this is a long passage, so I'm going to let you sit if you'll promise to read along carefully. And Okay, we're good. So this is the word of the Lord found in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, said, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since those things happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is true. This is real. This is God's word. And he's given it to us because he loves us. Let's pray and ask him to bless us as we open it and look at it more fully. We've heard so many times, many of us in here, about the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it is past our ability to conceive that it was even possible or even real. And then other times it settles upon us as the most wonderful and most needful thing in our lives. We pray for the latter this morning, that it would not fall upon deaf ears and hard hearts, but we pray instead that we would see the reality of the resurrected Jesus, that we can put ourselves into that story, into that reality, and live lives that are different. Would you bless us by your spirit? You said you would give them power on high 
We pray that you would give us power to understand and to see and perceive these things in the depths of our souls. And Lord, we pray for all who are here who may be hearing this for the first time, that you would have a conversation with their souls as well, uh, that they would see and know that these things are true. And I pray for me. Uh, I am I'm frail. I'm weak. My mind doesn't work properly most days. But I pray right now that you would give me a clarity of mind and heart to communicate these things that are so true and wonderful. Would you bless us and would you be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter doesn't really matter to us until we know why it matters. Do you know why it matters? On uh, March 27th, uh, there was a shooting in Nashville. Three adults and three nine-year-old children were gunned down. Chad Scruggs was the pastor of the church that's connected to the Covenant School where this atrocity happened. And his only daughter was one of the victims of the shooting. And uh, in the days that followed, he said this to the press. He said, we are heartbroken. She was such a gift. That's so hard, and we understand that, being broken in heart because we've lost people. But he didn't just say that they're heartbroken. He expressed something more. He said, through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. They know why Easter matters. And this Easter, probably more than any other Easter in their lives, has, is powerful in their hearts and lives as they hope, as they trust. And many of you know what Easter, why Easter matters. You know why it matters because you feel it in your bones. You feel it in your jo- joints as your bodies betray you. Some of you know it firsthand from this past year. There's a gaping, gaping emptiness when someone you love is gone. And it doesn't even have to be this year. Uh, I lost my mom right around the beginning of COVID, not from COVID. And that was three years ago. And I still, when I'm driving somewhere, I want to like, put her on, the, she's still on the speed dial, you know, to press it and give her a phone call and tell her how my day was. There's just that impulse to do that. She can't really be gone, but there's this gaping wound in my soul. So this is one of the most encouraging and hopeful passages in the Bible. It tells us about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think this is so important because it shows us that on the worst day, God is not done. He's not done. Jesus was betrayed, handed over, scourged, crucified, dead, buried, and it was over as far as everyone else was concerned. As far as Pilate was concerned, it was over. As far as Herod was concerned, this matter is over. As far as the Jewish officials were concerned, this was over. And as far as Jesus' followers and friends were concerned, the matter was over. And the only thing that was left was grief. And the thing that they could not imagine was that for God, it wasn't over. God had something better in store, and this is why Eastern matters. It, it brings incredible consolation and comfort but it also does something that when it gets into your souls and gets down into your DNA of your, of your heart, is it brings a transformation. It changes the story of your life, why you think you're here and what you think life is all about. Because this is, uh, you know, we have our stories that we tell one another, but this is a deeper story. It's a more foundational story. It's a redemptive story. And when we look at this, we see that they saw something more than the resurrection of Jesus. They saw the world change in the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Can I cover all that? I don't know. We'll see. So three points. What happened? Why does it matter? And what does it mean? So what happened? Uh, The passage tells us, but specifically in Luke 24, 5 to 6, this is the first announcement of it. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. What are they talking about? What happened? Well, we believe that what the scriptures are teaching us is that 2,000 years ago, God raised Jesus back from the dead. Uh, Jesus came back to life. So after a brutal torture and death by crucifixion by professional killers, after which Jesus was clearly dead and his bloody corpse was put into a tomb, he came back to life three days later, truly alive again in the world and more than alive, fully and completely healed. Now, some of you have had surgery uh, in the past year, and I'm always amazed that when you have major, major surgery, the surgeons today are kind of like, now you're going to get up and walk the hallways because you've got to get up the very day you had surgery and start walking. And you think, what kind of cruel torture is this that you're making me get up and walk? But they know that you need to do it. And so the first day, it's ginger. The next couple of days, you might make slow progress as you gradually get better. So this is just a, three days after Jesus is put into the tomb, just a, 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 and you just can't have to say it this way, he was a bloody corpse. His body was when they put it in. And he didn't make progress over the next couple of days as he healed. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't revived. He was completely and fully healed. He was miraculously better than he ever was. So the skin on his back that had been pulled off during the scourging, all of that was healed and back to normal, back to smooth skin again. And when he showed them his hands, he showed them scars. He didn't show them wounds. He showed them the scars because there had been no healing. It was a miraculous bringing back to life of Jesus Christ. And then it's more than simply he had a new body. He, uh, I know you all kind of keyed into at one point he vanished. Is what, the, what is that all about? Well, Jesus has a resurrected body, which means it's more than just revived and healed. It's the same body that we will have at the end of time when the Bible says that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and the two will be fused into one. Heaven and earth will be one. And so Jesus' body is an end times body seen in space and time history and in some way that we can't fathom, he was toggling back and forth, back and forth as the man of heaven and the man of earth between these two. And the Bible says we'll have a resurrection body uh, that will be a part of the heavens and the earth all at the same time. That's amazing and fantastic. But the question modern people raise is, uh, how do we know that he came back? How do we know that happened? Because modern people, as we tend to look at people in the past, we say they were more gullible and superstitious about things like that. And they were more open to claims about resurrection than we are because we have we have science, you know, and they were just kind of bumpkins way back then. They didn't know any better. Um, but as you look at the passage, you see uh, they were completely uh, skeptical of the claims themselves. They couldn't fathom it. So when the women were told by the angels what had happened, they couldn't quite wrap their mind around it. So they went and told the apostles, and the apostles, when they heard it, they couldn't accept it at all. It seemed like just an idle tale. And so back then, they knew just as we do that people when they die, don't come back. They probably had seen more dead bodies than you and I had. The first body that I saw was my grandmother when I was about 15 or 16. We, in that culture, you would have seen a lot more dead bodies than we do. They just, it was a part of their lives. So they knew what dead bodies looked like. So what they needed was proof. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read, 
Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering with many proofs. And here in Luke 24, we see him showing himself so that the, the truth is slowly dawning on them that Jesus has been resurrected in a real body, restored, healed miraculously in something more, something of heaven and earth. You see, God is, gave us uh, proofs. He gave us the things that we need tangibly. Now, you and I don't, but they did, right, in the first century. So why was the stone rolled away? I mean, if Jesus, can just, if Jesus can just vanish and then reappear somewhere else, why did he need for the stone to be rolled away? It wasn't for him. It was for us. It was for them to be able to go in and look in the tomb and see. You know, Jesus was not inside the tomb, like, knocking on it. Hey, everybody, let me out. I'm, I'm, I'm whole again. No. It was for them to be able to look in and see the linen and the cloth lying there. It was for the witnesses to be able to see it. So what we look as we look at the story is there are countless people who uh, have been skeptics, publicly skeptical of the claims of Christianity, particularly about the resurrection, who upon studying the claims and the proofs are convinced. C.S. Lewis being one of the more prominent names. Uh, but there was a, a man by the name of Frank Morrison. In the 1930s, he was, a, he was a, an English rationalist journalist, which meant he was skeptical of all the claims about Christianity. And he decided he was going to write a book about how the claims to the resurrection of Jesus were pretty bogus. Well, he wrote a book, but it wasn't the one that he intended to write initially because as he began to investigate the information, he himself was converted. So he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone that came out, which was a bestseller, and people read it and were convinced themselves by, what, by the journey he had taken to faith and understanding. So what are some of the things that convince people in the modern world? Is, you know, a lot of times people say, well, it was just a legend because... It just kind of like over time, the story got told and told like the telephone game. And so eventually it's so it's twisted to where, you know, Jesus is, he, he lives in our hearts. No, he actually lives physically. It just was developed over time. But you could say that in the 1800s, but you can't say it today because we have too many writings from back then that we've been able to date with modern techniques and study techniques. And they realize the claims themselves started immediately. Somebody snap good. Can, can somebody, thank you, that was a better snap than mine. We'll do it, okay. So immediately, upon, within that very year, those claims are becoming more and more widespread. If you've read 1 Corinthians 15, you say, he says that what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And he tells the whole gospel story there in just a few verses. Scholars look at that and say, that arose within the first year after the resurrection of Jesus, and it's recorded in our Bibles. So it was an immediate claim. It didn't have time to become legend. And as you look at this passage, it was intended to give uh, people an opportunity to ask questions. So when it lists the women, in, uh, it's talking about uh, a, a kind of a resume or footnotes about what had happened. So it was too close to the time. 2410 is where that is. Other people say it was a hoax that the apostles pulled off. Well, they all were willing to die for what they believed. So they don't, it wasn't a hoax. They seemed very sincere in the things they said. And the way that we think about it, I heard this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. A guy was explaining, he said, you know, when we think about somebody creating a hoax, it's to get money, it's to gain power, it's to win influence. But guess what? The apostles, if they created a hoax, it did the exact opposite. They lost power, they lost money, they lost clout, they were excluded from their communities, they lost everything for the sake of this. So it wasn't a hoax. 
And then sometimes people say, well, maybe it was wishful thinking. Maybe somebody came and uh, stole the body. And so when they showed up, there's no body in the tomb. So they assume Jesus rose from the dead. It was, it's, so it was wishful thinking on their part. But here's the problem. As you look to the passage, uh, there are too many eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. Eyewitnesses. Some people say there are as many as eight times over a period of 40 days that Jesus showed up and appeared to people. Some put it as high as 13 in the scripture. So, you know, when you have somebody you've loved and you're sitting at a restaurant and uh, you see a reflection in the mirror and out the corner of your eye, it looks like the person you love, right? Sometimes people think that's probably what happened to the apostles, but it's not. He cooked fish. I have never had a reflection in a restaurant cook fish for me, right? So everything in here is saying this really, really happened in the real world. But why does it matter? Well, the reason it matters is this. Is this was, uh, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, yes, it's a source of comfort and consolation. We're going to talk about that a more in just a minute. But it was more than simply an event. There was a plan behind it, showing us there's an intention underneath it, and a story that we're all a part of. Whether you want to be or not, we're all a part of this story. So there's a plan. In 24.6, what we read is that the angel said, remember how Jesus told you that this would happen? And he explains what Jesus said. And then they remembered, oh yeah, Jesus said this was going to happen long before it ever happened. And then in 24.26, Jesus was walking with the disciples to Emmaus. And he said, did not the Christ have to suffer in this way? And so he's saying, this is all according to the Old Testament. The Old Testament spelled out this story before Jesus ever showed up. 24.44, everything written about me in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. And then in 24.46 and 47, Jesus summarized the history of the Old Testament and the world as Jesus' story. So what's he saying? He's saying everything that had happened in the world up until this point, everything that God was doing was preparing for the coming of the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that had ever happened in the Old Testament, it's all connected and all tying into the coming of Jesus. So from the first moments of the world to the resurrection of Jesus, it is one continuing story. So the resurrection is important because it doesn't just give us comfort. It does, but it changes the narrative. It changes the story that we're all living right now. Because as Americans, we have a story. We have stories that we tell ourselves that form the framework for how we live life. One of those is what I'm going to, I'm going to call the biological life cycle. Right? You're familiar with the biological life cycle. We could write it out. We've never really seen it spelled out. It's like the bug life cycle. Like, you know, it's the, like, it's the egg and then the pupa larva and then the, the adult. We have that for humans. We just haven't really spelled it out. So we're conceived and we're born. Then we play. Then we go to school. Then we work, then we get married and we have kids. They grow up, they leave the house. Then we retire, and then we play again, and then we die. That's the life cycle. And the way that we conceive about life is between the birth and the death, and that's all you get. That's the whole life, and so you have to squeeze as much pleasure into these moments. And so that's where we have our salvation story as Americans that we can call the American dream. And the American dream, it's a story of prosperity and personal advancement and happiness. And we're looking for salvation from the hard things that are between when we die and when we, between when we're born and die by advancement and prosperity. And we, uh, 
and people have made it there, right? They've lived the story. And how many times do you hear people say, I arrived, I was at the pinnacle of my game, I had everything, and I just wasn't happy. It didn't fulfill me. It's a story we tell ourselves, and as long as you're on the journey, it feels like it's true, but then when you get to the end, you find out it's not true. Here's what I read this week. This is a weird one. This is an interesting one. I, was, uh, I countered the, the story of a young woman who was convinced culturally that uh, transition was going to be okay and it was going to make her feel happy and whole as a person. So she went through, not all the surgery, but she started with uh, testosterone treatments, like injections. And there's a picture of her before, and there's a picture of her while she's on this, and she's got you know, scruffy beard and all these kind of things. And then she, as she was going through this treatment and looking at all of it and listening to people talk to her, she realized, I'm no different on the inside. I'm making this progress. I'm making this transition. I'm moving in this direction. And this is supposed to save me and make me feel like the internal and the external are in sync, and it's not. I don't feel happy where I am now any more than I did then. And I've got it. And then she said that she was wrestling with the gospel of Jesus. And she came to understand Jesus. And so she stopped the treatment. She went back to kind of saying, I need to find my identity and who he is. That's the story. So she became a Christian through this whole process because she realized that the story she was being told culturally, it didn't make sense when she started to live it out. It didn't fulfill her the way that she thought and the way that she was told it would. So there's the life cycle, there's the American dream, there's the social progress story. You know the social progress story is where we've outgrown all the superstitions and ignorance and oppression of the past, and uh, we have peace and goodwill and affluence right now. And how's that one working out for us right now? Yeah, not so well. My, I've, I had conversation with my daughter about her generation and the way that they feel about life and looking forward and uh, they're not looking forward to the future. She says, and people in her generation are not looking forward to it because what she feels like is awaiting her is global warming, maybe a nuclear winter, flooding, food shortages. They'll never own their own homes. They just can't afford it, and they're just scared of the future and all the difficult things that it's going to hold. They're going to be saddled with all the debts of previous generations, and things are going to collapse. That's the way she thinks about the future. So these stories about... Uh, the life cycle and the American dream and social progress story, these are falling apart around people, right? They, these are not the story. And, and we wonder why mental illness is on the rise in the United States. It's partially because of the stories that we tell ourselves and the disappointment with them. So we step into this story, the story of Jesus' resurrection that undergirds and transcends and replaces the stories that we tell ourselves, and this is why Jesus says, not simply that there's forgiveness of sins, but he talks about uh, repentance here in the passage. He says, uh, for, repentance, verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be uh, proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, it's an interesting word here, the word repentance, because we think it's merely turning away from bad things. But I looked at uh, the word in the original language, and it's the word metanoeo. It's a very curious word because it's, uh, it's, it doesn't mean to change your morals. What it means is to change your mind. Right? There's a change of mind. There's a transformation of mind that's taking place. You think differently. Your thinking's transformed. So walk with me through this. Caterpillar is, goes through a metamorphosis, and it becomes a butterfly, right? 
That's a similar idea to what he's talking about here with metanoia, this kind of repentance, is your thinking changes and it produces a transformation in the way that you live your life. As whoever Jesus was on the outside of my life has now been replaced. He's now at the center of my life and that's transforming, that metamorphosizes my life. Is metamorphosizes a word? It is now. So it changes my life and because it, it gives us a truth that transcends all these stories that we tell ourselves. This is, the, this is the undergirding story of everybody and everything. And so I want you to think about it with me for just a second. Is if, all, if your whole life from birth to death is all that really is there, you've got to squeeze as much living into that time as you possibly can. So let's imagine that your, your life is an inch, just an inch long. That's, this is the span of your life. But let's compare that for just a moment. You know, I'm, I'm 50... How old am I? 53? Be 53 this year. So this is my 53 years of life. It's an inch. If I were to compare that inch to the uh, diameter of the earth, the earth diameter is 7,900 miles. It's 502 million inches. Imagine I had that many inches to live. What would that do to the way that I had perspective on life in, in the world? I didn't have to squeeze it all into this one moment. Now let's imagine that, uh, and I saw this on a video, I thought this was really cool. So the size of the earth in comparison to the size of the sun. So here's my little inch life, and let's say you'd show that all these little eyes in comparison to the, the earth itself, and then the earth compared to the sun. So in this video, it showed the size of the earth, and then it shrunk down as they were showing it, comparing it to the size of the sun. And so on the video, the earth went down to basically a, a, pe- a pixel on my phone screen, and the sun was huge comparing these two. Can you imagine the size of the earth compared to the size of the sun? And then they did something that really blew my mind, the size of the sun compared to the biggest known star in the galaxy. And so the sun shrunk down to nothing on my screen, and this star kept getting bigger. I thought, wow, that is really big. And then they did something that even blew my mind further, is they said the size of the largest star compared to the largest black hole. And this, this little star went down to nothing, and then the black hole kind of, it took a while to form fully onto the screen. I was thinking, how amazingly big is that? And that's just a small part of the whole of the cosmos, right? So I want you to think about it this way. The inch of your life, the Bible says, if you're in Christ, you have eternal life. Infinite days, infinite years, infinite decades, infinite centuries. How would that begin to transform your life? I don't have to squeeze everything. Now, some of you are right now going, yeah, but all that time in this body would really stink. So the resurrection, we're going to come to that in just a little bit. But in terms of thinking about your life, there's a story that undergirds this that says it's not just when I live and when I die. I have a larger story that's underneath this that undergirds it. And this is where the joy and the happiness comes is knowing that this is not all the life that I get. A guy by the name of Buck Parsons wrote, said this. He said the greatest joy in this life is to know that our greatest joy is not in this life. It rests outside of it. Lucian, a second century Greek satirist and a critic of Christianity, was talking about the way that the gospel had affected, the belief in the resurrection had affected the early Christians. And this is what he wrote. And you can hear his voice dripping with sarcasm and and contempt for Christians. He said, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time. 
which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them as merely common property. Isn't that amazing? It transformed them. How does it transform us? Well, it blesses us with perspective because we know that the best is yet to come. And that means that you can say no to things because if I don't have it now, I'm going to have it in the next life. You know, my, my wife and I have talked about this before. Is she doesn't have time to learn the violin in this life. Um, she doesn't have time. But in the new earth, she's going to learn to play the violin. I look at things on Instagram, all these places that people have been that I've never been and I'm never going to get to go to. I look at it and go, yep, one day I'm going to do that in heaven. That's going to be really cool. One, one day I'm going to get to do something better in heaven. That's going to be, so I don't lament. I'm able to look at those things and say, that's really beautiful. I don't have envy because I'm going to experience that at some point in eternity. It enables you to prioritize things that truly matter because if all you get is this, then the smallest things become of ultimate importance. I've got to do this now. But if you realize there's something better coming, you can wait. And it also frees us to serve other people. And you see that our stories have typically made us pretty self-absorbed people in the United States. We can be very selfish. But if you realize it's not about me, I have a Savior who is holding on to me fast, then I can serve other people because my best is not coming here. My best is not coming here. It's coming then. And so I can serve and give up things now. So it changes the story, but it changes it in some pretty important ways. What does it mean for us kind of long-term? Well, it means this. If Jesus could make the outlandish claim that people couldn't accept and then accomplish and pull off that claim in a way that no one could deny, then it shows that everything that Jesus says is trustworthy. Or, as Andy Stanley kind of pithily said it, he said, when somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we should just go with whatever that person says. <laughs> it's true. So the resurrection of Jesus means that death doesn't have the last word. Grief doesn't have the last word. Tragedy does not have the last word. Evil does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And he says, all must be fulfilled but not yet is everything finished. And it means that we know what comes next because when Jesus shows up in the resurrection body, it's a prototype and he's called the first fruits. We will have a resurrection body that's like his, fully healed, fully hold, whole. And when we die, we know it's not just the factory shutting down and closing up shop forever. It means it's just a short time until we come back. For instance, when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. You know how we know that promise was true? Because Jesus promised that he was going to come back, came true. And when Jesus tells you that your sins are forgiven, that's a promise that he has proven by his death and burial and resurrection. So, three things, very quickly, as quickly as we can. One, what does the resurrection mean? Well, it points us to the forgiveness of sins and being with God 
forever because the resurrection vindicates Jesus' death. It shows us that Jesus has paid for his sins. Years ago, I had a, a college student that was involved with our ministry, and he decided that he wanted to bring his airsoft gun from home to campus, which was a big no-no. And so uh, somebody ratted him out. He got turned into the administration, and they were going to expel him unless he did 10 weeks of community service. So every Saturday for 10 weeks, he did community service. And if at any point he missed any of those dates, he would be expelled. So on the 10th one, they, they, had, they filled out the form saying, you have completed community service. You're now off the hook, right? When Jesus was resurrected, it shows that he had paid for our sins in full. Because he didn't die for his sins. He died for ours. And so when he was resurrected and came back, it showed that he had paid the penalty in full. Scott Saul says this, I love it. He said, believe in Jesus, then your judgment has been moved from the future, your future, to the past. And what could be better than that? Jesus gladly paid, the Father gladly accepted, and it means that we are, it changes the way we think about what happens when we die. We're not entering, those who are in Christ do not enter into judgment they enter into the presence of their father. Again, Charles Spurgeon helps me understand these things very often. Great quote from him that's not on the, the screen, but this is what, he, uh, this is what he, he wrote. He said, to come to you is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires, and the summit of all of my wishes. I get to come home and be with Jesus. I get to come home and be with God. And this is part of what we're looking forward to. But there's a second, and that's the resurrection of our physical bodies. Um, For those who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't just that he came back. They realized that they would come back too. He's the first fruits. He's the first one. So R.C. Sproul said this. He wrote, The point of the resurrection... The Father raised Jesus by the power of the Spirit, not simply for his own vindication, but for us. He was the first to be raised in this manner, but he will not be the last. Everyone who is in Christ will share in this resurrected glory. This hope is at the very heart of the Christian faith. So you will be resurrected, but it will be a repaired you. And this is a big deal for a lot of people. My father, before he passed away, kept asking me, because he knew I was the theologian in the family. He said, when, will we remember people when we die? Will I be me, is what he was asking. And the answer is, yes, you'll be you, but all the broken things about your life and body will be healed. Johnny Erickson Tata gives us a great picture of this in her life and some of the things that she's written. At age 17 in 1967, she was in a diving accident, and she became a quadriplegic and has been in a wheelchair to this day. And this is what she says about the resurrection. She said, somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against the splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, why not? The image I will see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, brighter Johnny. We have that to look forward to. And then the third, restoration of relationships uh, with all those who are in Christ. 
The resurrection doesn't just mean that you will be made new, but the people that you love that have been through really hard and difficult things, those who are in Christ, they'll be restored too, and we'll be restored to them. J.C. Ryle says, there would be no point in these words of consolation if they did not imply the mutual recognition of saints, the hope with which he cheers wearied Christians is the hope of meeting their beloved friends again. But in the moment that we who are saved shall meet our several friends in heaven, we shall at once know them, and they will at once know us. And that's good news for us, because we have the gaping wounds of people that we've lost and loved. I have a friend who helps me understand how big a hope that is. Um, back in 2016, his daughter had had a born with, she was born with complications with lungs and heart. And uh, she died on June 14, 2017. She wasn't very old at all. And this is what he sent out to everybody as an announcement of what had happened. He says, it's with great sadness and joy that we share with you Sadie Mar- that share with you Sadie Margaret went home to be with Jesus on Wednesday, June 14th at 10.54 a.m. Sadie passed, I'm sorry, Sadie peacefully took her last breath in my arms. I've pictured her taking her last breath on earth in my arms and her first breath with no oxygen tubes in heaven in Jesus' arms. So of course, there's sorrow for us left behind. I miss my beautiful, spunky, bright-eyed, curly-haired girl. There will be a hole in my life on this side of heaven, but there's also joy. Our baby is free from her broken body. I can't help but be overjoyed for Sadie. She is safe and resting in her father's arms, and in a breath, that hole will be gone. Our tears will be wiped away. Death will be no more, and we will be reunited My hope overshadows my sorrow. My friend knows why Easter matters. Do you know why Easter matters? Easter tells us that when it looked like everything was broken and nothing will ever be the same, Jesus was raised from the dead, and wonderfully enough, nothing has ever been the same because we know what's coming. God has something wonderful in mind for the future. He has promised it, and he has confirmed it through the resurrection of Jesus. Those who belong to the Lord will have new life and new bodies. They will say hello to one another, and it will be so good that like what we read in 2441, we'll disbelieve for joy because it's so good. Burke Parsons, he's right. The greatest joy in this life is to know that our greatest joy is not in this life. Let me pray for us. Hmm. As we talk about this, Father, I'm, I'm very aware that somebody, that several people in here are on the cusp of tears, thinking about the people they've lost, people that, thinking about the people that have gone on, and some of us even thinking about the prospect of us going on and not being with the people we love here. And so we ask that you would transform our thinking, to transform our understanding as we recognize that you are a God of happy endings. You are a God who allowed your son to go to the cross because you knew the happy ending. You allow us to go uh, through difficult things because you know the happy ending. And you know that there is a mandatory happy ending for all those who belong to you. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to live within that light. And Lord, we do pray for our friends here who, 
who still wonder, is this even true? We pray, Lord, that you would begin a conversation with their, their souls to convince them and to show them the truth, the reality, the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so they may find the consolation and comfort that is ours in him. Would you bless us and be with us as we sing this one last song, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.